It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, October 11th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. PG&E has pledged to bury 10,000 miles of power lines in California in order to reduce the potential risk of sparking wildfires. But the California Public Utilities Commission might soon limit that plan, prioritizing cheaper and faster alternatives. The California Report has the story. Then, after a look at local news and weather, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Nevada County's Interim Public Information Officer about this year's Nevada County Community Survey. That's all before we get the rundown on upcoming space news in another installment of Al Staller Explores. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Officials with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation are proposing significant changes to the use of solitary confinement in the state's prisons. Advocates say the process is rushed and the changes don't go far enough. CAP Radio's Kate Wolf reports. In 2015, 10 prisoners at Pelican Bay State Prison settled a major lawsuit with the state. CDCR was forced to dramatically reduce the population in solitary confinement and stop isolating people because of perceived gang affiliations. The decision brought Michael Saavedra back to the general population after 15 years in solitary. So you really have no human contact other than the guard giving your food and which really is in contact at all, right? Now, Saavedra is part of a group working to pass a law that would drastically limit any segregated confinement in jails, prisons, and immigration detention. Last year, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a version of that law and directed the state's prison system to come up with its own changes. CDCR submitted the proposed changes last week. They would cut down on the use of isolation and ensure people get at least 20 hours out of their cells a week, up from 10. Saavedra is skeptical. If they couldn't even do 10 10 hours minimum a week, what makes you think they're going to be able to do 20 hours? This is why they get sued over and over and over for these same issues. There are currently around 3,000 people in segregated confinement in California, which CDCR says is necessary for the safety of prisoners and staff. They say many people are able to have cellmates while segregated. The public will have until the end of the week to provide initial comment on the regulations. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf in Sacramento. Pacific Gas and Electric pledged to bury 10,000 miles of power lines in California to reduce the risk of them sparking wildfires. But now, state regulators are considering two proposals that would limit that plan in favor of cheaper and faster alternatives. The California Report's Izzy Bloom has more. PG&E proposed spending nearly $6 billion through 2027 on burying the first 2,000 miles of power lines, also known as undergrounding. But the California Public Utilities Commission is worried about the cost to customers who will pay for PG&E's spending plan. That's why the CPUC may instead direct PG&E to insulate most of the power lines with a material that reduces but doesn't eliminate wildfire risk. Nathaniel Skinner from the Public Advocate's Office at the CPUC says insulating power lines costs one-third as much as burying them. It is a lot less expensive and you can do it a lot faster. And so on the whole, with the same amount of money you're spending, you can protect a lot more of PG&E's customers a lot more quickly with covered conductor rather than undergrounding. The commission will vote on the proposals as early as November 2nd. For the California Report, I'm Izzy Bloom. California regulators are poised to shake up the solar market for apartments, schools, and farms. 
An administrative law judge is proposing changes that make the economics of investing in solar projects unappealing. KPBS reporter Eric Anderson in San Diego has the details. The California Public Utilities Commission rewrote the rules for solar on single-family homes last year. And they could do the same for bigger complexes that have one solar array with multiple metered hookups. It's part of the legislatively mandated review of the state's solar rules. Changes approved for single-family homeowners slash the value of electricity sold back to the grid. The new proposed decision calls for an end to something called virtual net metering. One multifamily property with multiple meters that go into each unit and virtual net metering allows that property to install one solar system on the property. Jay Berg works with the Center for Sustainable Energy and that organization doesn't have a position on the proposed decision, but she says virtual net metering allows an apartment complex owner to use solar generated electricity to power community spaces and share the proceeds with residents. California's investor-owned utilities, including Pacific Gas and Electric and San Diego Gas and Electric, argue in their legal filings that developing an updated virtual net metering program is too complicated and too expensive. The utilities have no problem billing us. They can figure that out. Bernadette Del Chiaro works with the California Solar and Storage Association. What they're complaining about is giving us credits and lowering our energy bills. They're saying that that's just too difficult and we just don't buy it. We know it's not true. SDG&E declined a chance to comment. Utilities also support the recommendation to require complexes to sell their solar-generated electricity to the utilities at the wholesale price and require them to buy that same electricity from the utility at the retail price. The panels could not be used to offset usage at complexes, like single-family homeowners can. We are developers of affordable housing. We build multifamily housing, and we've been stalling solar in a lot of our apartments. Arnulfo Manriquez runs a social services nonprofit in San Diego County. His agency operates a 300-unit affordable housing complex in southeast San Diego. He says virtual net metering allows everyone in the complex to benefit. We want solar because it is using solar is using a natural resource it it does have uh, substantial savings to our operations on the cost that the landlord pays but then the savings also get passed through to the residents for the utilities that they spend individually in their own unit but manrica says changing the rules makes solar financially unappealing the cpuc has postponed the item for a second time the panel's five commissioners will now take up the issue on November 2nd. For the California Report, I'm Eric Anderson in San Diego. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at SchmidtOcean.org.
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, October 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can get all your statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, effective this Friday, October 13th, the burn permit suspension in the state responsibility areas of Nevada, Yuba, Placer, and Sierra counties will be lifted. Cal Fire Unit Chief Brian Estes is formally canceling the burn permit suspension and advises that those possessing current and valid agriculture and residential burn permits can now resume burning on permissible burn days, as long as they have that permit, which is required. So why lift the suspension? Well, while the threat of wildfire remains, current weather and vegetation conditions are conducive to safely utilize burning, burning that ideally will reduce vegetation and create greater resilience to wildfires within communities and rural areas. However, if weather conditions were to change, a suspension could be re-engaged at any time. When it comes to burning, property owners and residents are asked to use caution while conducting debris or agricultural burns. They're also asked to always maintain control of the fire. And a reminder, individuals can be held civilly and or criminally liable for allowing a fire to escape their control and or burn onto neighboring property. So to be safe, all residents burning should also be sure to adhere by the following guidelines. Only dry material like pine needles and tree trimming should be burned. The burning of trash, painted wood, or other debris is not allowed. Never burn on windy days. Piles should be no larger than four feet in diameter and in height you can add to the pile as it burns down. Clear a circle of 10 feet to bare soil around your piles. Have a shovel and a water source nearby. And of course, an adult is always required to be in attendance of the fire. Residents wishing to burn must verify it is a permissive burn day prior to burning. For burn day information, you can contact your local air pollution control district or air quality management district. And for more information on burning, you can visit the CAL FIRE website at www.fire.ca.gov. Caltrans is alerting motorists about upcoming nightly closures of westbound Interstate 80 between Secrettown Road and the junction with Highway 174 as emergency pavement repairs continue near Colfax. These nightly closures are scheduled from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. on Monday, October 16th through Thursday, October 19th. Westbound I-80 is scheduled to fully reopen by 6 a.m. Friday, October 20th. Two separate detours will be in place. Passenger vehicles will be detoured west on Rollins Lake Road to Highway 174 and reconnect with I-80 in Colfax. Large trucks, RVs, and buses will be detoured west on Highway 20 to Nevada City, then head south on State Route 49 to Bell Road and reconnect with I-80 in Auburn. The truck detour will start at 7 p.m., one hour prior to the closing of I-80. Caltrans reminds motorists to, quote, be work zone alert and slow down in construction zones, both for the safety of travelers and for that of the crews working on these improvements. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 46. Thursday, sunny with a high near 70. Thursday night, partly cloudy with a low around 48. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear, with a low around 25. Thursday, sunny with a high near 56. Thursday night, partly cloudy with a low around 28. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly clear with a low around 53. Thursday, sunny with a high near 78. 
Thursday night, partly cloudy with another low around 53. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. This month, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors is asking residents to complete an online survey. It asks for input on Nevada County spanning a wide range of topics, from things like economic opportunity to cannabis to wildfire prevention. Up next, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Lisa Renner, the county's interim public information officer, about how it works. The last time we did a survey this in-depth was in 2017. So now here we are in 2023, and it's really a comprehensive assessment of the county. This is like everything about Nevada County in one survey. And really, the Board of Supervisors needs this information to make the best, that's the most important, that they know what's important to the residents so that they know what to focus on and what should be their top goals of every year. That's Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa Renner, the Interim Public Information Officer for Nevada County. The Board of Supervisors of Nevada County is asking residents to fill out an online survey that'll help them set policy priorities for the next two years. But this isn't any old survey. So this survey is a little bit different. It's done through this company called Polco, which merged with the National Research Center, And it's done very scientifically, and it compares Nevada County against other communities across the country. I asked Lisa how comparing Nevada County to other communities is useful. I think so we can see how we're doing. For example, we might find out that people feel like there's, uh, they feel very safe here compared to other counties or other communities, and that's the positive that might help us know how to market Nevada County to businesses and other people in the future. Okay, marketing is well and good, but Lisa points out that this is an opportunity for people who live here to really make their voices heard. It's easy for us all to complain about things that we wish could be improved in our county, and we don't like this and we don't like that, but here's a chance to really move things forward. If you take this online survey, your answers will go directly to the people running this county, and it will help them make better decisions that will benefit all of us. The survey covers a broad variety of topics. I asked her for a few examples. I thought it was interesting about just thinking about education. What do we think of our schools here? Um, What do we think of Nevada County as a place to work, as a place to visit? What do you think of the layout of the street? Would you recommend living in Nevada County to someone else? That's kind of interesting. How do you think Nevada County is in attracting people from diverse backgrounds? How do you think Nevada County is for taking care of vulnerable residents? How easy is it to have public parking? I mean, it goes on and on. And there's several questions about the cannabis industry. It asks questions like, how big of an economic driver should cannabis be for the county? Where should we put cannabis businesses? Where do we feel comfortable having cannabis businesses located? Internet, are you happy with your internet service? Who do you get your internet from? What are the needs with that? Where do you get your information for evacuation? Where do you get information about fire? So we wanna know that so we communicate to the public as clearly as possible. 
it truly is, I feel like, a very comprehensive survey. When we did this before in 2017, it did impact what the board priorities were. Convinced? Here's how you can make it happen. It's super easy to take. You just go to polco.us forward slash NC23. That's P-O-L-C-O dot U-S forward slash N-C-23. There are 44 questions and it takes 15 to 20 minutes. And I took it myself and I would say, I would say I did it in about 15 minutes, but 20 minutes on the long end. Time is limited though. This is short. So I know in the past, we've had months to get people to fill out a survey. This one is a snapshot at this point in time. So it opened Tuesday and it goes through just two weeks to October 24th and it's done. So we're just doing a snapshot. What do people think about the Nevada County right now? And then we close it up. The 2023 Nevada County Community Survey can be accessed online at polco.us slash nc23. That's P-O-L-C-O dot U-S slash N-C-2-3. N for Nevada, C for County, 23 for the year, 2023. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. Tomorrow morning, if all goes well, a rocket will launch a spacecraft to the asteroid belt. Coming up, KVMR's Al Stoller speaks with one of the scientists involved in that mission in another installment of Al Stoller Explores. Four and a half billion years ago, planet Earth did not exist, nor the other planets, nor the sun. All that did exist was a ginormous ball of dust and gas spinning slowly through the galaxy. That ball of dust and gas collapsed in on itself. Dust and gas squeezed together to form sun and planets, including Earth. It's a tidy story, but it leaves out a lot. Just how did dust and gas turn into star and planets? For clues, we look at rocks. Rocks of Earth, rocks of the Moon, rocks of Mars. And we look at meteorites, rocks that have fallen from space. Most meteorites came out of the asteroid belt, chunks of rock and metal orbiting the Sun between Mars and Jupiter. I spoke recently with Eric Asfog, professor of planetary sciences at the University of Arizona, and co-investigator on the Psyche mission, which will launch a spacecraft into the asteroid belt tomorrow morning. For me, the real puzzle, not just with asteroids, but with planets generally, is why are they all so different? There is no real good theoretical explanation why the planets are all so different. I mean, a number of us are working on these ideas, and most of them have to do with collisions and maybe distance from the star. Let's say you want to create an Earth in order to have a habitable planet, Well, that's kind of like a roll of the dice that came up in just the right way. If instead of rolling dice, you form things just more methodically and systematically, the planets are all going to be about the same. I mean, think about gas giant planets, you know, Jupiter, Saturn, thousands of exoplanets discovered so far. When you go and see them, well, they're big gaseous objects, mostly hydrogen and helium with the you know, some differences based on how close they are to the star, some compositional details, but the first order, they're, they're lifeless, they're enormous gas balls. So if those were the only planets that ever formed, you might have no chance for life in the universe. Likewise, if everything formed uh, being like the moon, and you formed a bunch of rocky, airless objects that are about 3,000 miles diameter, 
you might never have life either. And so there has to be this process where you not just roll a pair of dice, but you roll a huge number of dice, and then you're trying to see under what circumstances do things come up with all sixes, which is kind of what you'd need to get something like the Earth. Looking at the asteroid belt, we're seeing a lot of different possibilities of how things can come about. Exactly. And I think the asteroid belt is kind of a way of getting a handle on what happened in planet formation. Psyche, as I understand it, was once much, much larger, but its rocky outer parts got blasted off by collisions. Well, that's the explanation that ran into some problems. You know, it's it's sort of the original simplest theory that is fundamentally right in some respects, but it has this one problem. So imagine Psyche about twice the diameter, and it was surrounded by rock, and you had some big collision knock all this rock off, or you had hundreds of smaller impacts knock all this rock off. The immediate problem you face is where is all this rock? Crustal-type rocks and mantle-type rocks are very rare among meteorites. Crust and mantle are the rocky parts of a planet like Earth above the iron-metal core. Crustal-type rocks and mantle-type rocks are very rare among meteorites. You know, science, you tend to paint yourself into a corner and then look for a window where you can hop out. The idea of Psyche being blasted away, we painted ourselves into a corner and then had to think of a, of a way that you could remove the mantle through a very different kind of collisional mechanism. And that's what led me to hit-and-run collisions as uh, the mantle removal mechanism for Psyche. It's a hypothesis. It's the idea that Psyche collided with something bigger than itself. You know, maybe could have been something the size of Mars, but could have been something much smaller. So Psyche could have run into one of these bodies, and in that process, it would lose its mantle. This is something we've demonstrated in computer simulations. Collide them into each other at solar system-type speeds. You can rip the mantle off, and out goes core material, which would be Psyche. And then you've disrupted all this rocky stuff, and the reason that rocky stuff wouldn't be around anymore in the meteorite collection or among the asteroids is that it rapidly gets swept up by the target that Psyche ran into to begin with. And so it's a self-consistent story for why you would have these metal-rich objects without a bunch of rocky material left over. I am hoping for the best for a successful launch on Thursday. I want to thank you very much for talking with me. I look forward to talking again in the future. Hey, thanks a lot, and thanks for the good luck wishes. Every, every mission needs a little bit of luck uh, for everything to work well. I've been speaking with Dr. Eric Asfog, co-investigator on the Psyche mission to launch tomorrow into the asteroid belt. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, October 11th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Mercury Cleaners and Drapery Service, family-owned since 1971, offering full-service, eco-friendly dry cleaning and laundering for most things fabric. With two Grass Valley locations in the Brunswick Basin and South Auburn Street, delivery service is available, mercurycleaners.net. And Four Paws Animal Clinic, Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. 
Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening Newscast is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.